Can you help me with these and maybe find a couple to help with the passing out the lesson? Take your Bible tonight with me and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, Pastor Morris and I have been kind of switching off on uh, doing uh, the, the um, Christian virtues, what we're calling a Christian virtue series. The messages on every week are different, with the exception of this one. I wrote this one and then I said, Pastor Morris, you haven't spoken on the, the, uh, the uh, virtue of joy yet. And Morris said, I did already. But I said, well, Morris, I'm doing it again, but mine is gonna be better than yours, is what, uh, but probably it won't be, but uh, it will be different. Um, I wanna talk about joy as probably one of the most elusive of emotions to date, but it's more than just an emotion, okay? Uh, joy certainly does have to do with our emotion, but it's more than just that. And, and it's very, uh, it, it's elusive today because of the world in which we live in, a world in which we are continually bombarded by negativity. Now, let, let me make a statement. So, so Pastor Monty, things like happiness and joy, and for the sake of what I'm talking about, you can kind of equate them. Joy is different from happiness because happiness is based on happenings, okay? Joy is something deeper than that. But for a moment when we talk about the emotion, we're not gonna split hairs. Uh, you can kind of equate those things. Some will say, Pastor Monty, some people just have a really joyful personality. Have you ever met someone like that? I have it's consistently joyful. And, and what we sometimes do is this, we'll say about that person, okay, that person is joyful because that's their personality. Now I want everyone to focus on what I'm about to say that is not necessarily so, and sometimes those of us who don't exhibit joy use the personality excuse as a way to get away from something that is commanded in scripture, something that is lifted up as an option for us in scripture, okay? The Bible doesn't present joy as only possible for certain people. It presents joy as possible for every Christian. Now, having said that, before I get in scripture tonight, let me mention this. I also believe very firmly that it's possible for you to change negative aspects of your personality. Well, now wait, Pastor Monty, I, I was just born this way. Again, we use that as an excuse. So an illustration for that would be when I was a, a kid uh, in junior high, I was incredibly shy, very, very shy as a young person. And uh, so shy that I wouldn't answer the telephone and was loath to ever answer the door if someone knocked on the door. I was just a really shy kid. And so I remember uh, my parents were troubled by this because of how shy I was. And so they did probably what they shouldn't have done. They didn't know any better. They would often say something like, well, he's just shy. He's just shy. Well, when those words were spoken over me, I kind of used that then as a grand excuse to just maintain this part of my personality. Now, listen carefully. There's a difference between shy and quiet. Our youngest son is quiet, okay? He doesn't, he doesn't talk like his dad does, blah, 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 he does, he's not like that. But there's a difference between shy and quiet. And so uh, when I became a Christian and then the Holy Spirit's pressure came upon me to be a preacher, I had to jettison my shyness. You say, Pastor Monty, how did you do that? It was not easy, okay? Naturally, I was the kind of person that stayed in the background on things and, and didn't want to talk to people. Uh, but we had a youth pastor at our church who knew that that was a hurdle for me. And so he gave me a challenge. Do, do you need more of these, Kevin? That would be wonderful. I, th I think I'm out of them. You got some more, Joe? 
Okay, there's some more. There's some more. I, okay, you're going to keep interrupting my message? Okay, as long as you can. Okay, so I had, I had a youth pastor who was a real help to me, and, and he knew that I struggled with this, and he said this. He said, okay, we had a big church, 1,200 people in the church, and, and uh, he said, why don't you do this? He said, go around on Sunday morning before church and even after church and just shake hands with the old people and engage them in conversation. Now here I was probably by this time a freshman in high school. He said, just engage the older folks in conversation. And he said, they'll love it. Well, I was really nervous to do so at first, but I thought, okay, the youth pastor said so, and if I don't, I'll get struck by lightning. So I started to go around and talk, and you know what I found? The older folks in that church loved that I, as a young person, was speaking to them. And, and, and I would talk to some of the same ones every Sunday, some different ones, and I got to know them. They got to know me by name. We kind of would exchange stories. They would always ask things that old people ask, you know, how is school going? And, you know, things like that. And so I kind of knew where the conversation was going to go. But here's what was really cool. Around Christmas time, I got cookies from the old people, okay? They, 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 would, they would bring me cookies. That was really cool. I had, there was, a, uh, there was a black lady in our church, and she was at the time, you have to understand the time, the day and time that was back in the, the, uh, the early, early 1980s. There was a black lady, and I, uh, uh, just a sweet lady, um, and her name was Jay Cox, and we called her Grandma Jay Cox. And uh, I got to know her really, really well, and the stories of her life. And uh, she would always hug me at church, and she would say, I'm your chocolate grandma. She always said that. And, oh, I know, it's not politically correct nowadays. Okay, just get over that, okay? Uh, and I learned, I learned to jettison being shy personally. And so, uh, and so in most situations, not, you say, Pastor, how did you, do you want one of these? Let me get two. You want two? I do. There you go, I'm sir. Okay, I'm never calling on you again. Okay. <laughs> no. Anyone else need one? I have a few extra copies. So, so my point being, my point being that with enough effort and practice, you can kind of overcome some of these things. And it's just, it's just learning how to do it and a determination to do it. And if, by the way, if that's your issue, a book that I read as a teenager, which was pushed upon me by the youth pastor, was that book by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Anyone read that? Okay, it's a classic. It's a classic book. It's very, very helpful. So look at your introduction, then I'll get into the scripture. Even for Christians, genuine and consistent joy can be problematic. So many things in life push against our joy. Circumstances, people, people, people. Did I mention people? Societal negativity and world events. The list seems endless. Some ask the question, what is there to be joyful about? The Bible answer is plenty. <laughs> Scripture presents joy as a primary emotion of the Christian life. When a believer loses his joy, there is always a deeper problem. So look at Romans chapter 9, uh, pardon me, chapter 12, beginning at verse number 9. And this is a series at the end of the book of Romans, a series of these little miniature um, commandments that are given very practical. Beginning at Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. The idea of dissimulation is disguise or don't fake it. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. 
Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. I talked to our deacons last night where Peter in 1 Peter 3 verse 8 talks about loving as brethren, okay? In, in a church, and here's another example in the words of Paul, in a church the relationships are a family relationship, okay? Um, how many of y'all had a brother growing up? When he had a brother, okay. Um, you know, I sure did, I had two of them, and one of them was a twin. And I'll tell you something, we didn't always get along. We sometimes got into some scraps and some scrapes and arguments and fusses and things like that. But at the end of the day, my brother was still my brother, period. I disagree about stuff, take, argue, you know, you say, well, Pastor Monty, that must have been before you got saved. No, no, it was after, it was after we got saved. And I remember we had to share, we were students at Bob Jones University, we had to share a pickup truck. Um, and he would want to take it and I would want to take it and we had one set of keys for it and, and uh, whoever got the keys got the truck and there was all kinds of conflict over that. You know, that's just what it was. But the, at the end of the day, we remain brothers. So here again is an example of that. So it says, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. What does that mean? That means giving way to the other guy preferring, well, Pastor Monty, I've got the best opinion. My opinion is always right, okay? But it's still okay to give way to someone else's opinion. Most of us think that our opinions are right. That's why we hold them as opinions. But did you know it's okay to give way to another man's opinion sometimes? We, we don't have to always take, uh, take center stage. Then it says this, not slothful in business, don't be careless about what you do, but be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Verse number 12, rejoicing in hope. Now, I, I want you to pause there for a moment. Do you see the word rejoice? Rejoicing in hope. Now, if all of those other miniature instructions are commandments, do you follow that? Where it's love as brothers and all those things. Those are commandments of scripture. Then so is the concept of rejoicing. Now, Pastor Monty, you can't force someone to rejoice. I can't try to, but you should, of your own accord, figure out what that means to you. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, I'll deal with this more later. Distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and, uh, and curse not. Okay, I'm focusing on that word rejoicing. In the midst of all of these very practical commandments and instructions, the Apostle Paul says we ought to be rejoicing in our lives. So what does that mean? Look at your lesson outline. I'm going to throw some definitions at you. Both, we're going to talk about uh, joy defined and then the source of joy. Defined, what is joy? The inward sense of peace and happy expectation for something good. That is part of joy. Okay, you'll notice in our scripture text, it said we're to rejoice in hope. Does everyone see that? Uh, well, Pastor Monty, now, I would rejoice if I had a million dollars, okay? Paul says rejoice in hope. What is hope? Hope is a happy expectancy of something good to come, not just necessarily a million dollars, probably not. But it's an inward sense of peace and happy expectation for something good. In other words, it views life positively because God is in control. Now, I want you to think for a moment. I am not preaching the power of positive thinking or, or, the, or the power of possibility thinking, Schuler. I'm not preaching that, but I am preaching Bible. 
And when God is in control, there is the ultimate expectation of something that is good. And that can give me joy, an inner sense of peace, an inner sense of joy. And if you'll notice back in our scripture, he talks about patient and tribulation. There's a connection between my willingness to rejoice and be positive and being patient or enduring tribulations when they come or trials when they come. So it's an inward sense of peace, happy expectation for something good. It is a consistent state of general happiness or delight. Now, it's not giddiness, I'll get to that in a moment. But let me ask you, are you generally a happy person? I'm asking, I just don't have a whole lot of things to be happy about. You're just not looking around hard enough. You see, it takes as much effort to be negative as it does to be positive. Maybe a little more to be positive because of the world in which we live, but it takes effort either way. Again, it is a command of scripture and the Bible always tells you to do something that is good for you and rejoicing is good for you. So we're defining what joy means, giving several ideas. Uh, Joy is a positive attitude that buoys us up through the difficulties of life. Say if everything that hits you becomes a disaster and you do not see anything positive or think positively, very easily you'll be pushed down in life. But when you look at the circumstances of life and you say, rather than this is a problem, this presents an opportunity. Just that little change in thinking gives you some level of joy because there's something that God is doing or something good behind it. My mom used to talk about uh, the silver lining in every cloud. Look at number four, the ability to walk on the sunny side of the street and to walk above the clouds. That's joy. I'm just describing what it is. Very hard to do sometimes in our day and time. If you read the news, if you look at things happening in the world around you, that can be very difficult. But, but again, do you, do you understand the clouds are there, but beyond that is the sun, and I might spell it this way, the S-O-N, the Son of God. When we have a right perspective on this, we can, as Christians, maintain a real sense of joy. Now, unless you become confused, joy is not, number five, joy is not mindless giddiness. It is not denial of reality. Uh, Pastor Monty, I'm a realist, said someone, and that's why you scowl. I'm a realist. That's why you're negative, okay? I I want you to think for a moment. The unseen is as real as the scene. God is as real as anything I can see in this world. And so when someone says they're a realist, if you're a biblical realist, there is no reason in the world to be negative. There is no reason in the world uh, to think that the, the world has come to an end. Joy is not the mindless giddiness. It is not a denial of reality. It is not a lack of seriousness or perpetual lightheartedness. That is not what joy is. Joy is an emotion that a person can have even in the midst of tears. At the uh, funeral, for Eldon Bailey today, there were, and I didn't know Eldon well, he's only been around here for about two years. He was a remarkable man by everything that was said in the funeral. At the funeral for Eldon Bailey today, there were a lot of tears, but behind that, there was a lot of joy. Eldon had come to know Christ as his savior as a younger man, and his family now into the great-grandchildren generation, many of them, if not, I think the claim was made that all of them had come to know Christ as their Savior. 
And while we miss him, we understand where he is. And so a joy is, a joy is not the, a, a lack of seriousness or, or perpetual lightheartedness. And sometimes joy can even come when we have tears. Okay, now where do we get joy from? So if you were to do a Google, Google search on this, how can I be joyful or how can I be happy? Thousands of articles would come up. But because you're a Christian, you can focus the answer to that on precisely what the Bible says. Where does joy come from? Joy comes from, number one, the Holy Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, dot, 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 then add this, joy, joy. The very first one mentioned is joy. All believers have the Holy Spirit residing within, and he produces fruit in the believer's life. So that's a very basic thing. What does a spiritual person look like? A spiritual person, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Did everybody follow that? That's what a spiritual person looks like. And so part of that is joy. When the Holy Spirit is part of our lives, when he indwells us, we can experience joy. Christians who do not experience the fruit of the Spirit likely have a relationship problem with God. Sin interrupts joy. So does failure to develop a vital relationship with God. Now I want to talk about those two things. When we know fully, knowingly and willfully sin, it robs us of our joy. You said, why is that? Because our fellowship is broken. We do not lose our salvation, but our fellowship with God is broken. So, Pastor Bonnie, what do we do about that? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's number one. So we deal with sin. Number two, relationship with God. So while a lot of Christians aren't out there just randomly, wantonly sinning, they don't know what it is to have a real walk with God. So preacher, describe what that is. To genuinely know God. How many of you, when you met your spouse for the first time, had a sense of joy? Did you have a sense of joy? And then as you got to know that spouse, how many of you say that and you were not married yet, you're not married yet, that sense of joy deepened? Okay, amen. And then you got married and it ruined everything. <laughs> no, 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 just kidding, just kidding. No, over time, the closeness of the relationship brought joy, okay? When now, now, in a human relationship, it's imperfect. So sometimes you have joy, and other times you have a lot of stress, pressure, sorrow, whatever it may be. In my relationship with God, that can be a walk of joy if I get to know him. Well, how do I get to know him? I get to know him when I open the Bible and let the Bible speak to me directly. Um, and I, right away, people are like, well, Pastor Money, okay, good. I'm going to do a read-it-through plan for the year uh, 2024. That's my New Year's resolution. May I give you a, an idea? Great if you can do it. But sometimes people assign themselves too much Scripture, and they get bogged down. I'm not just trying to sell Pastor Morris's book, but let me tell you something. What a great guide to have. If you'll take and read the scripture text that he gives in the book and then read that illustration and then take some moments to ponder it, you'll get to know your Bible better. You'll have a thematic kind of encouragement for the day and then pray 
and talk to God and get to know God in prayer. It is very simple. It's just sometimes for us not so easy because everything else in life tends to come in and take over that time. Um, you say, Pastor Monty, when should I have devotions? Depends on when you will consistently do it and when you're alert. Okay, mine is, uh, my quiet time is very early in the morning. I started at four o'clock this morning, not because I'm spiritual, it was because I couldn't sleep. <laughs> so I just woke up. When I can't sleep, I just wake up. I started in on reading and started in on some studying that I wanted to get done. And folks, I'll tell you, when you do that, you're, you're learning to walk with God. Part of that, it's to read his word so he can speak to you. It's to speak to him in prayer. It's to give all of those things. And that is part of our, our relationship with God. And, and a Christian who goes through their whole life virtually ignoring God, when I talk about joy, it's a foreign language to them. Because, well, you know, Pastor Monty, we, we go to church and that's about it. But they don't have the joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. So let's look, at, let's look down to point C, under number one, point C. Note that joy is closely connected to love in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, the word fruit there is singular. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And that, uh, and that the other characteristics, joy, peace, long-suffering, can flow from love. So some, there are some Bible scholars that say, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Stop. And then all of these other things flow from that. The other, what we call fruits of the Spirit, but there is a close, connect, uh, close connection to that between those two things. Genuine love for God and people is a work of the Holy Spirit resulting in joy. Hateful people are not joyful people. Let me ask you a question. Do you love God? Do you love him? How about people? It's sometimes easier to love God, isn't it? <laughs> people are a little bit more of a challenge. Do you want to know what will make you a better than average Christian, in fact, make you 99% what you ought to be as a Christian. Jesus said this, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. He said those things are the two great commandments, and on those things, he said, hangs all the law and the prophets. If I can learn those two things, well, what does that produce? That can produce, that love produces a joy and a positivity about life and about people. Again, hateful people are never joyful people. So it is sourced in the Holy Spirit. But now I want you to turn, you're in Romans 12. Look over at verse, uh, pardon me, chapter 15. Look at Romans chapter 15. Because here is a secret as well. How do I get joy? Number one, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, closely related to love. Number two, look at chapter 15, verse 13. And this is not just flowery speech. Every word of this is important. Paul says this to the Romans. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Does everyone see that? Look at it again. Now the God of all hope fill you with all what? Joy and peace. Now, Pastor Monty, that just means if I pray hard enough, God's going to fill me with joy. No. Look what it says again. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Notice the next two words. In believing. In believing. God fills with joy and peace based upon the level of our personal belief. I want to break that down for you because I think it's important. 
Notice the verse begins with the words, the God of all hope, the God of all hope. God alone gives us reason for hope, period. God alone. Well, Pastor Monty, I have reason for hope because I I think I'm going to get a big bonus at the end of the year. Maybe, maybe not. God alone gives us reason to hope. Pastor Monty, I think I'm going to, I have reason to hope because I'm going to get to visit with my best friend sometime this week. No, God alone gives us reason. All of those things can either happen or not happen, but God is the God of all hope. He gives us a reason for hope fundamentally. Remember, joy has to do with positive expectation. Hope is the absolute assurance of a positive expectation. And when you look at the word hope in the English Bible, it speaks to that. An expectation, a positive belief or assured expectation. It's not just, well, I hope so, it might happen, it might not happen. In the word, in the King James Bible, the word hope has to do with an absolute assurance. So he is the God of all hope. Notice, fill you with joy. Hope in God results in the gift of joy from God. Okay, so God is the source here. We would say as Christians, the Holy Spirit who lives in uh, inside, he is the source. And then look at the back page. He will fill us not only with joy, but with peace. Peace and joy go hand in hand. It is impossible to experience joy without experiencing inner peace. So both of these things are essential. Okay, Pastor Monty, sounds good. God's going to fill me. The God of all hope is going to fill me with joy and peace. Here's the clincher. Look at point D on the top of the back page. In believing, in believing, the human requirements for peace and joy is faith. It matters what you believe and it matters that you believe. Now listen carefully. In a world that's so broken as ours, if I look around, sometimes it can lead to despair. And sometime years ago, and I've pretty much kept up this habit, I quit watching the network news altogether because it was just brought a lot of despair. Plus they're lying anyway. Every time you turn it on, there's lying. But I quit watching the network news altogether. Um, I quit because one morning, um, Savannah Guthrie, Guthrie was on the Today Show and she was saying something I didn't like, and I was talking back to her. And, and Kelly came in the room, and she said, this is not healthy, <laughs> that you're, you're arguing with the television set. And I realized that, I, I, I set that aside. That kind of negativity, why? Because my mind was being filled with things that even though I would disbelieve them, I would argue against them, there was still the tendency to think that way. So what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to believe in something and it's right in my hands, the word of God. So let me give you a couple examples. If I really believe that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, if I really believe that, it changes how I feel. If I really believe that God is in control, it changes how I feel. Listen to this, if I really believe that God can meet my needs, it changes how I feel. If I take the promises of God and genuinely believe in them, and by believe in them, meaning I'm meditating on those things, I'm thinking about those things, uh, those are things that mean something to me. If I truly believe in that, and I am viewing everything through the lens of the promises of the word of God, I will have joy. But if I view it as a secular person views it, 
I will have only despair. Well, Pastor Monty, you know, the one thing I really need is help, uh, pardon me, hope and joy. What do you believe in? What do you believe in? Well, Pastor Monty, church is good for church and the Bible's good when we're having a Bible study, but come on, it's real life. Yeah, it is real life. That's why I can rest assured in the promises of God. For example, the Bible teaches this, he'll never let anyone pluck me out of his hand. What is that? That's a promise of eternal security. He, God, which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's a promise. Well, Pastor Monty, you know, sometimes I fail. We all fail, but you know what another promise is? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, but, but Pastor Monty, I know I'm going through a really hard time. What's a promise I can hold on to? The words, he shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. If you think about it, your Bible is filled with promises that you can claim. I want a list, okay? I'll double dog dare you to do something. If you want a list of the promises of God, Google search promises of God in the Bible. Boom, there will be hundreds of them that you can claim right now and believe. Now, Pastor Money, why should I believe that? Because peace and joy comes from what I believe fundamentally. Peace and joy. If, 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 if I believe that uh, something great is going to happen tomorrow, I'll have joy. If I believe something catastrophic is going to happen, I will not have joy. So the human requirement for peace and joy is faith, believing God, believing God over this world. Believing God over secular things. Believing God over all of the pressure of the culture. Rising above the melu of the mess that we have in this world. And saying, I simply believe God and I can trust him. That is a way to look at life and it's a way to, to develop joy. Okay, so it doesn't just come automatically, but it comes when I believe, when I exercise faith. How do I, I develop joy though in my life, because this is the question people have. Pastor Monty, I want to be joyful. How do I develop joy? I'll give you several ideas. Point A, remembering there is a human aspect to joy, faith, and belief. If you're not thinking the right thing and not believing the right thing, you won't experience joy, and I'll show you why in a minute. Christians can cultivate joy by being conscious of their thinking. Now take your Bible with me, please, and turn to 2 Corinthians 10. This is not in your lesson outline. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, but I want you to see something. It really depends on what you fill your mind with. It really depends upon what you think about. Everything in life depends upon that. We can either be led astray by our brain or we can be led in the right path by our brain. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The Bible says this, verse number four, we'll start there. For the weapons of our warfare, Paul describes the Christian life as warfare, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Verse number five. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That is an instructive passage about our thinking. Pastor, what, is, what are the, the steps? First of all, I have to capture my thoughts, bring my thoughts into the captivity of Christ. That means I have to recognize my thought patterns and stop them in their tracks. How do I, what, what? You have to think about your thinking. Folks, can I tell you, I do this all the time. 
because it's so easy to lean negative. How many would be honest and say, Pastor Monty, I tend to lean negative? Yeah, I, I tend to, I tend to. It's so easy, and I have to stop and think, wait a minute, should I continue down that pathway? So I, according to verse number five, I capture the thought. Then what happens there? Um, I cast down every imagination. I'm looking at verse five. And every high thing, notice the next words, that exalteth itself against a knowledge of God. My thinking often inadvertently not on purpose, leaves God out of the equation. Where is God in your thinking? Remember a moment ago I said that peace and joy come in believing? Paul said that. But where is God in your thinking? Well, Pastor Monty, I'm just not thinking about God all the time. But shouldn't we have God as an equation in every thought? Shouldn't we think to ourselves, even if we're facing a really negative set of circumstances, hey, I wonder what God is going to do? Or shouldn't we be thinking, I wonder how I'm going to see God in this? Sometimes you have a very uh, sad thing happen in your life, and God, if you're looking for him, makes his presence known. But only if you're looking. And so one of the things that we need to do is we need to capture our, our thoughts and then cast down any imagination of any high thing that exalts itself against a knowledge of God. If God is not in the equation, then I need to set that thing aside. So that is part of the human aspect. Now look at point number one under A, if you will. God designed us in such a way that our emotions are produced in our brains by brain chemicals. Look, look this way. Oh, Pastor Ron, I just thought it was something spooky that happens. No, no, God didn't design spooky. God designed the brain to work a certain way. You know how I can prove that? How many of you ever have, I'm, you all have, so don't be lying. How many of you ever watched a scary movie? Yeah, and, and you, you know, how many of you knew it was a movie? It's just a movie. How many of you know that it's fake? Okay, it's just fake. And how many know that, frankly, to feel, watch that scary movie and feel scared when you're sitting in the safety and security of your living room eating popcorn with way too much butter on it, how many of you understand that's kind of not rational? Do you get that? I mean, because what's on the screen is not happening. Do you, do you know why you feel that fear? Because the director and producer of that movie is very skilled at manipulating your brain chemistry. This is very important. By the way, this, when we think about movies, yeah, we all have experienced that. How many remember the, 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 the movie Where the Red Fern Grows? You remember that? Yeah. That was a great movie, by the way. How many remember Old Yeller? Remember that? Let me just tell you something right now. Rudy, any movie where a dog dies, it's a tearjerker. Cats dying? Not so much, but just kidding, just kidding. We had a cat and it died and we were sad. Any, any movie where a dog dies, so that's a, a tearjerker. Well, Pastor Bonnie, why would they put that in that movie? It's so sad. Because they're manipulating your emotions. How are they doing that? They're getting your mind to think and accept what it sees and that's producing chemicals in your mind that bring sorrow. It's, it's just that simple. I had a, um, how many have ever seen the, the movie The Boy in the Striped Pajamas? You ever seen that? Yeah, yeah, I had a, a friend, a friend of mine, pastor friend, 
He said, he said we're going to have family movie night. He said, can you recommend a movie to watch? And, and I, I told him, I said, well, we just watched this movie. I didn't tell him what it was about. I said, we just watched this movie called The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. And, um, and uh, he said, okay, okay, we'll watch that tonight. He said, is it good? I said, yeah, it's fine. I said, fine for family movie night. Is it, and and uh, they watched it. It's one of the saddest movies you've ever seen. It's about, it's about a, a Jewish boy who ends up uh, making friends with a German boy and then getting exterminated in World War II. Okay, if you want to cry buckets, watch that. The next day he called me. He's like, he's like, Monty, what were you thinking? He said, that was the saddest, most depressing. He said, I'm still depressed from watching that movie. He said, you, you absolutely ruined our family night. I said, I said, you know, I said, hey, you asked me and I told you, okay? I wasn't trying to sabotage anything, but truth, truth of the matter is, it's chemically produced because of how we think. They tie us into thinking a certain way without getting into it too much. Um, that is absolutely the truth of social media and you need to be very careful. It is a manipulation of chemicals in the brain. Okay, um, point two, biblical thinking, believing the right things, promotes the release of brain chemicals that produce joy. Unbiblical thinking produces the brain chemicals that produce depression and anxiety. It's just how it is. If you ever played sports, your coach may have at one point or another told you to psych yourself up for the big game. What is he telling you to do? To think the right thing so that you get excited for the game to come. And it actually had a physical effect, okay? If you were ever in a, a crisis or a fearful situation where you had to lift something heavy or move, move very quickly, and, and you did that because it was just boom, instantly, it's a crisis. And you're like, well, uh, you know, I, I can't believe I lifted that. Or I can't believe I ran that fast. I can't believe my response. It's normally that not that good. What was that from? Adrenaline. Adrenaline. God designed that. Okay, is everybody following what I'm saying? So the way I function in my brain affects how I feel every single day. You know, you know what? Every one of us, probably, I would guess everyone in this room, if you decided to let your mind wander down the wrong path, you could, your eyes could fill up with tears. This includes the guys, this includes the guys. Don't be all macho, guys. If you allow your mind to go down the wrong path, your eyes can fill up with tears. We said, Pastor Monty, why is that? because the things I think about affect my joy. This is why Paul said joy and peace come in believing. What is believing? Believing is a rumination, a thinking about, and a faith in that which is promised in the Word of God. Do you see how this helps you, you kind of walk above the clouds in life? So uh, biblical thinking on right things promotes those that release brain chemicals that produce joy. Another example. Another example. How many of y'all like to sing? I love singing. Boy, I love Sunday morning worship here. I love it. I love it. And, and, and people just sing out, sing real loud. And does it ever lift you up with joy? Does it? Does it ever? And so some folks, you know, like to, like to raise their hand. Like, I'll do that sometimes. And why? Are you asking question? No, it's just raising your hand in worship. Uh, and some people do this. The charismatics do this one, and the Baptists do this one. But, 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 but what is that? 
you feel lifted up in the service. Now, 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 let me tell you something. That's the Holy Spirit, right? And that's the presence of the Lord. But that joy comes as a result of brain chemicals, okay? We're, we're singing about Jesus Christ. We're lifting him up. When you lift him up, every human emotion is the result of chemicals. That is not a secular view, that is a creationist view. That is precisely the way that God made us. So understanding that helps us to put this all together. I then, then I need to learn to recognize thoughts that diminish joy and reframe them, turn them around, or reject them altogether. Casting down imaginations and every high thought that exalts itself uh, against a knowledge of God. So, uh, joy developed, there's the human aspect. Point B, joy requires a right relationship with God and others, period. I, I, can't, I cannot extend that enough. Remember, love is the basis of joy. Love, joy, peace, etc. Love is a work of the Holy Spirit involving two objects, love for God and love for people. When I adopt cynicism, I'm in trouble. When I see everything from the negative side or am, I'm automatically suspicious of people, I'm in trouble. Wow, Pastor Monty, you don't understand. I've been burned so many times. I'm not suggesting that you should open yourself up to getting burned, but I am suggesting that maintaining an attitude of openness toward people and hope is by far the better way to go because God says we're supposed to love any, everybody. Do you know who he says we're to love? We're to love our enemies. That's a really tall order. Why? Because if I let hatred ruminate in my soul, it will poison me as a person. I was in a conference for pastors some years ago, and one of the pastors made a tremendous statement. He said this, he was talking to a group of preachers. He said, gentlemen, don't become cynical. Cynicism is the poison of the soul. Cynicism is the attitude that nothing is as it appears, nothing is good enough, nobody's right enough, I'm the only one, everyone's out to get me, everyone's out to hurt me, I've had enough bad experiences in life. Cynicism could be described as when I was a young man uh, doing some uh, street evangelism in New York City, uh, Bob Jones University student, we were up there on a missions trip, I was passing out gospel tracts, I was smiling real happy and trying to be nice and people were taking my little gospel tracts and very well-dressed businessman came, he was walking towards me. And I put on the best smile I had, you know, and I, I, I was going to hand him a tract and say hello. And so I handed him a tract and I said, hey, hello. And here's what he said. He stopped and he looked at me like he was about to impart the greatest lesson of life that I would have heard up until that point. And he said these words, young man, the word hello is the most expensive word in the English language. Then he walked on. I, I've never forgotten it, but I don't agree with it. Well, where did that come from? A heart of cynicism. He was very well dressed, so he probably had lots of money. It came from a heart of cynicism that gave him the idea that any person who approached him was out to get something from him. Now, I don't know anything about the man's personal life, but I can bet he didn't have a whole lot of friends. 
because he was so busy pushing back on people that he wasn't open to people. And there wasn't one joyful thing about that individual. So loving God, loving people. Unconfessed sin interrupts our relationship with God and often with others, producing negative emotional outcomes. While sin may be fun, it doesn't produce joy. And remember what the Bible says about Moses. He forsook the pleasures of sin that are for season, and he decided to suffer with the people of God. And there's something to that. Sometimes uh, anything that promises you, by the way, and I'll listen to what I'm about to say, anything that promises you instantaneous happiness is likely not good for you. Xanax would be an example of that. Likely not good for you. So uh, be careful about those things. Point C, Paul presents a succinct recipe for joy in Romans 12. So I want you to turn back there to our passage where we began. Turn back to Romans 12. He says this, and I've quoted the scripture, therefore you rejoicing in hope, patient tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality, and then note the words, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Let's go through it. Number one, what is it, how do I develop joy? I focus on hope. Believing in hope produces joy. Pastor Monty, I've been given a terminal. This would be very hard. I've been given a terminal diagnosis. Can I ask you something? What is your hope? Does anyone know? Heaven. Heaven. Absolutely. Okay, terminal diagnosis. My, but, but, but Pastor Monty, I want to stay here. Can I share a little secret with you? The older I get, how many know what I'm about to say? The older I get, the less attached to this I am. I, and and I'm, I'm not that old, okay? But the older I get, the less attached to this I am. Why? Because the ultimate hope is heaven anyway. Um, we would have loved in a human way to have known Eldon Bailey better. We, you know, he's just fairly new around here, a couple years at our church. We would have loved to have known him probably younger. He was a fun guy. He was always funny, always joyful. He was a really genuine Christian man. We would have loved all of that. But God, in his own way, for his own purposes, took him home. And do you know what? Though tears flow, there's still joy because there's hope. I, during his funeral, I wasn't performing the funeral. Pastor Morris had some things to say. And then uh, uh, the pastor, their longtime pastor from Ben Davis Christian Church, he spoke. And um, during the funeral, I was thinking about this. How many people will I see in heaven that I've even forgotten about on this earth? You ever think about that? Or how many people will you see from your past that you wish now you, could, you had said something to them, you didn't get an opportunity? I, for that, I especially think of my Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Poole, the little, uh, the little uh, uh, white-haired Presbyterian Sunday school teacher who taught me John 3.16. I cannot wait to get to heaven and hug Mrs. Poole. And when you think about that, doesn't that give hope? Doesn't that give hope? It should. It should to every one of us give hope. So it, it all has to do with focusing on hope. Number two, endure trials, okay? Patient in tribulation. The word patient means endurance. I endure trials. Patiently bear trials with hope in your heart. Well, Pastor Monty, I'm going through a really dark time, okay? I don't deny the darkness of the time. I do say that I'm going to endure it with hope in my heart. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. A pastor friend of mine uh, sent me an article 
that talked about the instant, uh, incidence of male suicide in America and how the numbers have skyrocketed. Now across the board, demographics across the board, numbers are very high, but they're noticing a trend right now for male suicide and men who've just had enough and they can't face anymore. Um, the Bible says we're to endure trials with hope in our heart that something good is going to come, something good is on the way. And by the way, when you believe in God, you've gotta believe that. You've gotta believe that. Well, Pastor Monty, what if everything changes? In my life, I've had moments when things changed on a dime. And maybe I didn't like the changes. It's in those moments my hope has to be in God. Someone said, but Pastor Monty, if this happens, this happens, it's, it's all gonna be different. Look at me, look at me. God allows for a new normal and hope in a new normal. Whatever it is that I have to endure, whatever it is, I still have hope. And Paul says this is part of the recipe, focus on hope, endure trials, pray. Pray, give things to God. Pastor Money, God doesn't always answer my prayers. Okay, can you just give your burdens to him? Give them to him. Well, Pastor Money, I need to think about it and ponder it and work over it and, and ad infinitum and become obsessed with it and maybe get anxiety over it. Once you've done everything, humanly speaking, you can do, it is possible to give it to God. Do you know what the Bible promises? Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Do you know what the Bible commands? Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. There comes a point in time when you just have to give things over to God. That's a way to experience joy, because all of a sudden the burden is lifted. There's another interesting one in this verse, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to necessity of the saints, generosity, meet the needs of someone else and find joy in their joy. I have a friend who for many years, I think he's retired from this now, but for many years was the chief spinal surgeon at the big hospital down in Louisville, Kentucky. He's a Christian man. Um, he, gave, he would always give me these little pieces of advice. For example, he said, and I'm not giving you medical advice when I say this, but I'm just giving you an example. For example, he said, uh, never take um, modern painkillers like ibuprofen and things like that. He said, aspirin is still the best thing you can take. He said, all of the rest of that stuff is, and I like aspirin. I think, you know, some people can't have it. I understand, don't take it if you're on blood thin. I get all that, but, but that's a piece of advice. But another piece of advice he gave me was this. He said this, generous, people have a significantly less incidence of mental illness. Generous people. What? In other words, someone who is giving. That is a principle of scripture and it is connected to joy. You know, what did Jesus say about that? It's more blessed to give than it is to receive, right? And when we think about Christmas time, what can I do for someone to bring joy into somebody else's life? Wow, some of the best Christmas, Pastor, do you remember Christmas memories? Yeah, some of the ones I remember were helping out people who didn't have very much. I remember a, a boy in my youth group and his, um, his mom and his two little brothers, they lived together in a tiny little apartment. And one of the kids in the Christian school came up with the idea of doing Christmas for them, making Christmas happen for them. And we went and we got a tree and we got presents. This became my Christian school project. It was better than having to teach that day, so I was glad. Got a tree, presents, went and got meals. The girls in the, the senior high class, 
The girls in that class cooked a huge meal in the church kitchen. Uh, they were having the best time ever, and I don't know what it tasted like, but they were having the best time ever. And we brought all of that, of that evening, we brought all of that to those people's house. I'll, I'll never forget, it was a little downstairs basement apartment. We went down there, I knocked on the door, a lady named Jerie answered the door, that was the mom. And I said, hey, I said, we just came here to bring Christmas and the kids brought it all in. And I've never, the, the little boys were just little. By the way, two years later, one of them died of stomach cancer. One of those little boys died of stomach cancer. You, you just never know, folks, you never know. And I remember the extreme joy from an act of generosity. And by the way, it was such a pure act of generosity on the part of those kids because all they wanted to do was make Christmas happen for someone else. And you know, of all the Christmases that I can think of, that was one of my, my favorites. We took the church van over there. It was Minnesota, so it was really snowy. We were listening to the best Christmas album ever produced. Do you know what that is? No, not Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. No, the Statler Brothers Christmas album, okay, by far the best Christmas album ever produced. And, and I, I can hear it in my mind, and I can see the scene and the picture as if it were yesterday. I've opened up a lot of boxes, folks, and you know, some things memorable, some things not. But when you do something for someone else, it's, it's a guarantee to bring a level of joy. And then it talks about fellowship in the verse. It says, distributing to the necessity of the saints given to hospitality. What does that mean? I mix it up with people. I get to know people. That's, that's part of joy that comes in life. People can be a great source of joy. Um, I speak kindness when others don't. Look at this. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Hard to do, right? Think with me for a moment. James chapter 3. He asks a rhetorical question. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. It's inconsistent. But if all that pours out of my mouth is negativity, I'm not only saying it, but I'm hearing my voice speak it, and I am reinforcing it. If out of my mouth pours biblical, positive blessing, even if I have to look at someone and say, well, bless your heart, if out of my mouth pours those things, it lifts me up because I'm hearing it and that's reinforcing it. It's all about how a person thinks. So let me encourage you about this. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. What brings joy to the world? The Lord has come. Focus on that. The joy of the Christmas season, what is it? Ah, oh, Pastor Juan, it's what we're going to do and what we're going to get and what we're going to have. No, no, no. It's Jesus Christ. And everything else is secondary if I learn to focus on him. I'll close with this illustration. My mother, uh, when she was a little girl, it was, I guess, in the time of the Depression, and uh, she said this. She said, they lived way up in northern Minnesota, and she said, we were talking about Christmas, and I said, Mom, what did you look forward to the most? She said, every Christmas we got an orange. Does anyone remember stories like this? Was that a thing? Was that an Indiana thing? I, I know you had chicken and dumpling noodles, okay. But, but yeah, and my mother, and she'd talk about this orange. And I'm thinking, <laughs> an orange? An orange? I'm thinking, well, I'd be kind of ticked if I was a kid <laughs> and just handed an orange. 
And to my mother, it was something huge because it wasn't the object itself. And by the way, it was a heart of appreciation for, and it was very different because this was Minnesota and they don't grow there, obviously. It was a heart of appreciation for what a person has. You will choose joy or sorrow, misery, depression. These are all choices. These are all choices. They're all habits because they're all formed up here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Does everyone follow what I'm saying here? That is why the chief emotion of the Christian life should be joy. Father, I pray that you'll take the word and help us tonight as we've thought about something that is so vital to our own health as Christians. Something, Lord, that you have given us as a medication in your word that is available to each one of us if we follow the pattern of the Bible. Father, I pray that you will bless in this thinking, but Lord, not just the idea. Help us to carry it from this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I went a little over.